0: You're listening to a Healthy Insider Podcast with Josh Long, Legal and Regulatory Editor. This is part two of our conversation with Peter Barton-Hutt, a veteran food and drug attorney in Washington, D.C. He discusses various issues related to the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994.
1: Um, let me ask you about DeShay. Let, let's just let's just ask you a very simple question. Um, has the law, in your view, been a success? In my
2: judgment, yes. it has largely been a success. Yes. It because. could be better enforced by FDA. Uh, I've been uh, appalled, like you and everybody else in the country, that there are companies that put uh, prescription drug ingredients into dietary supplements. My personal view as former chief counsel of FDA is that FDA has not done adequate enforcement against that. If I were FDA, I would put a federal register notice out saying that starting, pick a number, three or six months from now, we will bring criminal action against any company that uh, is found to have an illegal prescription drug in a dietary supplement. This has gone on too long. It should be stopped.
1: Thank you, Mr. Hunt. I I had the opportunity recently to talk to uh, Senator Orrin Hatch, and um, he brought up the the notion of an interagency task force For example, like DEA and U.S. Customs and FDA all working together to target these products that we're talking about, um, do you think that would also bolster uh, FDA's ability to uh, remove these products from the marketplace, or,
2: or no? I think that could help, but ultimately, it's FDA that has to bring the action. It isn't opioids or anything that DEA is concerned about that's getting into these products. It's weight loss prescription drugs. It's it's products that are are in a sense legitimate if you get a new drug application, but they're illegitimate in dietary supplements. And there there should be a concerted action to get rid of this problem. Only enforcement is going to do it. Task forces are not going to help. Unless it leads to enforcement,
1: I appreciate that. Now, what about uh, you know? There's a lot of talk about well, FDA needs more resources. Do you do you buy into the argument that if they get X amount of money, then that's all that's all we need in order for them to remove these products from the marketplace? That that's the, that's the magic bullet solution, or, or what's your thoughts on well, the on Food and the Drug actual administ- resources? The
2: Food and Drug Administration has enormous resources. Let me just give you. Uh, for example, uh, the huge increase in FDA appropriations in the past uh, couple decades. If you go back to 19, the late 1980s um, and, and trace forward the uh, amount of money that FDA gets appropriated for food and indeed for the entire statute. For a while, it was stagnant. And then there was a report, actually, that I wrote that that, uh, brought to everybody's attention, particularly to Congress, that in fact, FDA was starving to death and that they were being severely hurt as a result. Since that time, FDA appropriations Have increased from uh, $1 billion to what is going to be, uh, including prescription drug user fees this year, $5 billion. That's a huge increase. And much of that increase, all of that increase for food, has come not in dedicated user fees, it has come in appropriations that can be used by FDA for anything related to food that it wants to do. What we need is FDA to review its priorities and to prioritize getting rid of these fraudulent dietary supplements that never should have been allowed uh, to get the traction
1: that they've gotten. All right. Thank you very much. Let me ask you a couple of quick questions for you. So last week FDA had a a meeting on innovation, all day meeting. I don't know if you had the opportunity to attend that, but they talked a lot about uh, innovation and and, uh, the new dietary ingredient notification provision. So I don't need to tell you, you've been doing this for a very, very long time, but just for our, our listeners, FDA has stressed that the New dietary ingredient notification process that's embedded in DSH is its only opportunity to review dietary supplements before they're placed on the U.S. market. Mr. Hutt, has the has the NDI notification provision is it broken? Uh, does it need to be changed in the law? Does FDA need to figure out what it's doing with that? What What are your thoughts there?
2: Well, I I don't think it's broken. I think that FDA has vastly overstated. Uh, any potential problems with the NDI system do I think that there could be new dietary ingredients that could cause problem and that should go through the system absolutely yes that is there as a fail-safe system where they're needed but remember that the law has two provisions a new dietary ingredient is not needed for a pre-1994 substance, everybody agrees on that. What FDA never talks about is that the statute says that if the dietary ingredient has been a constituent of a food and that food has been in the market anywhere in the world, in fact that does not require an ndi they never mention that when they say there's a problem and those many many of those constituents have lawfully been put on the market and have not been the subject of an ndi and have created no safety problem of any kind whatever
0: Back to the uh, the NDI provision, you, you mentioned the other exception in the law, and, and, and I wanted to ask you about this because there, there are some people that say that that exception has has swallowed the uh, essentially swallowed the, the rule, the NDI notification requirement. In other words, there are very many companies that are relying on this exception, which which says that the supplement contains only incre- dietary ingredients that have been present in the food supply. As an article used for food in a form in which the food has not been chemically altered. That's a mouthful, but the point is that some may say that that wasn't the intent of the law. That wasn't a, the intent of the law. wasn't for that to be the major exception to the requirement that if you have a new dietary ingredient, you got to notify FDA and provide evidence of safety. Your response to that?
2: Yeah. I, again, I come back to the the question: Why are they concerned about it if it hasn't caused a problem?
0: Okay, um, that's that's the a, the answer. The answer really is: For any
1: legislation to work, there has to be a way
2: to make it realistic, i.e., to exclude things that cause no problem and one of the best examples of course is the food additive law which excludes grass substances the critics of dietary supplements are also the critics of that but it would it would be an unworkable system if you didn't have a grass exception from food the food additive requirement and the same way here why, if something has been a constituent of a food, it's caused no health problems, has been consumed uh, for centuries, and uh, someone takes it and puts it in, at a safe level, it's got to be a safe level, uh, and, and in a dietary supplement, why would one want to enforce an NDI requirement, which is this make work, both, both for FDA and for the industry. It's not serving any useful purpose okay, I, I, if it's been in the food supply.
0: What you're getting at, in, in part, is you're addressing the safety of, of, of dietary supplements. And a lot of people in the industry I've talked to have said, over the last 25 years since the Shea was passed, yes, there's been a lot of criticism from outsiders about the framework, but by and large, dietary supplements are safe. Would you agree with that statement?
2: Yes, I do, strongly. Every once in a while, you'll find one that can create a problem. That's true, good Lord, of, of everything that we, we apply to our bodies. It's true, certainly, of OTC drugs and, and uh, cosmetics and food. Look at what happens with food. Right. We have major nationwide tragedies resulting from food. We haven't had anything like that from dietary
0: supplements. Just generally speaking, does the law need to be reformed in some, in some way? Since it's been 25 years and there's been you know, questions about what certain provisions mean or don't mean, arguments over things like, is a synthetic botanical permissible under the law, et cetera? What are your thoughts?
2: Well, you're you're asking, uh, uh, frankly, a complex
0: question (laughs) that would
2: would require about four or five hours of discussion because you'd have to go through each individual provision. Let me me try to answer it in a global way. Has this law worked to avoid some of the uh, excesses that FMI was concerned about in the 1950s and 60s in particular, yes, it has, unequivocally. Has it worked to, to enhance the credibility and uh, reliability of the industry? Absolutely, it has. You look at the labeling of the 1950s and compared it to today, you'd see an absolutely major increase in the uh, in the credibility of what the industry is labeling and advertising its products for. In short, it, it did what it was intended to do. Do I think that, for example, the law needs to be overhauled? No, absolutely not. Can perhaps a provision here and there be clarified? That's
0: true of any law. For more award-winning podcasts from industry experts, go to insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. Hit subscribe to never miss an episode. This edition of the Healthy Insider Podcast is brought to you by Supply Side West, October 15th through the 19th in Las Vegas.